You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Devil All the Time. Happy birthday, Happy Arvin. birthday, honey. Happy birthday to you. Well, this was your daddy's. Brought back from the war. It's time to pass it on. It's the best present I ever got. Thank you. How and why people from two points on a map without even a straight line between them can be connected is at the heart of our story and knock them stiff. You ever think about how we ended up orphans living in the same house? I know what my daddy did. Some people would say it's just dumb luck. You take pictures? I do. I see a smile pretty enough to photograph, that is. Others would tell you it was God's plan. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That ain't no preacher. He's as bad as they got on the damn radio. When people look back on it, they had no other choice. A lot of no good sons of bitches out there. Excuse me, preacher. You got time for a sinner. You know, I studied something. It's called the delusion. A belief that is untrue. It is our delusion that lead us to sin. Some people were born just so they could be buried. What I'm about to do, I do because I have to. Not because I want to. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Devil All the Time, and the story is as follows. Sinister characters converge around a young man devoted to protecting those he loves in post-war backwoods town, teeming with corruption and brutality. The film is starring Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, Riley Keough, Jason Clark, Sebastian Stan, Haley Bennett, Eliza Scanlon, Mia Waskakowskia, and Robert Pattinson. It is written and directed by Antonio Campos, co-written by Paulo Campos. Here to join me for this podcast review i have josh parm hello hello danilo castro hello everyone ryan z showers oh hi and sarah clements hello hello all right so here to talk about netflix's latest offering seems like nowadays unless if there is a big major studio release in theaters like a tenant or something uh netflix is the Studio that's kind of keeping the content rolling. And this week we have uh, a film that on paper uh, looked like it was going to possibly be a big deal. Uh, Antonio Campos hot off of his last film, Christine, starring Rebecca Hall. 
And this movie here, it's got, you know, some really, really hot young names in here. You got Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man. You've got Sebastian Stan, who plays the Winter Soldier. You've got Robert Pattinson, who plays Batman. I heard Chris Evans was even attached to this at one point or another. The entire MCU just kind of converged around this movie, it seems like. But it's not just them. There's also a lot of other people tied to it as well, as I mentioned before. Here to talk about religion, the devil, some of the time, all the time, maybe none of the time. It all depends. Let's hear from everybody uh, what their thoughts are on the movie. Sarah, why don't we start off with you? What did you think of The Devil All the Time? Um, It's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, I felt it was like so congested with stuff and I was confused most of the time. But the performances were very good, which kind of saved it a little bit for me. But yeah, I was hoping it would be better because I, I haven't read the book, but I heard it was like really good. It is very literary in the way that it's structured and the way yeah. how it's presented. So, yeah, that's that's definitely true. Uh, Danila, what about you? What did you think of The Devil All the Time? I didn't know really anything about the plot going in uh, purposefully. So I was just sort of going in knowing who was in the cast. Um, I think the performances are good, like Sarah mentioned. I do think, given the amount of subplots and the amount of characters, there are times where the movie feels like it's straining to sort of integrate everybody and keep them involved. And so there are some portions of the film that I'm not as crazy about as others. But overall, I think it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. On the, on the whole, I enjoy it. Um, to your point about it being a little li- literary, I do want to get into the narration later on because I have some more thoughts about that. But overall, a, a pretty positive experience. Sure, sure. Josh, what about yourself? What did you think? This is a lot of movie <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and – the thing that I kept getting struck by while I was watching it is that it constantly gave me this feeling of like, it's almost there, but it's almost like a lot of different things. It's almost a like kind of interesting pulpy down South thriller, but it doesn't have quite enough to become that invent like that much invested in its thriller elements. It's almost like this kind of dark, Coen Brothers like comedy, but it's not quite that funny to really get there either. It's almost like this very big epic tale of American ideas and violence and generational trauma, but it's not really the the scope still doesn't feel wide enough to really indulge in that. And so it kind of feels like a bunch of half measures on stuff that have some good elements to it. Uh, I think that the performances are really good, but it just doesn't have quite enough elements, I think, to come together totally successfully. And it was kind of frustrating to watch. So I didn't hate it, but I think that it's trying to do too much and doesn't commit to what it is trying to do for it to be really successful. All right. And Ryan, what did you think? Well, you know, like as you were saying, Matt, this movie has a lot of or it had a lot of promise on paper. Even after I read um, Nicole Ackman's review for our site, I was still pretty pumped for it. I, I like darker movies like this. Um, however, I felt um, completely disinterested in most of this movie. Um, I, I think that the they could have organized the film's focused uh, the, the film's focus a little more. It was very scattered, and um, each honestly, each of these plots could have been their own separate movie. Um, it, uh, I, I agree. The performances, um, especially by um, Tom Holland and Robert, Robert Pattinson, are um, pretty great. Uh, they're the thing that kept me kept me going through the long running time. Um, but overall, I found it very hard to connect with. And I found the script just to be odd. 
Um, and like I said, the focus, the lack of focus the film had um, bothered me. And um, like I said, uh, like Josh said, there's just, they don't really, like they dance around some something that could have been great, but they don't commit to it. So I think my biggest problem with the movie overall is two things. One, we pretty much get the message of this movie early on. Mm-hmm. And then it never actually expands on that message. It kind of just hammers that message home even more. And it doesn't actually reveal itself to be anything new. So even though it's not a two and a half hour film, it does feel very long because so much of it, in my opinion, then becomes uninteresting on a thematic level. The second thing that I have a problem with with this film is kind of tied to its marketing just a little bit in the sense that it really was sold as a Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson show in many ways, but they don't show up until about 40 minutes into the movie. And there is some cross-cutting between different timelines that happens uh, in the film. You know, we do go back at one point to see uh, uh, Mia Wachowski's character uh, along with her daughter, um, Eleanor, I'm sorry, Lenore. And you know, I, I, I found myself wondering, well, if we're going to be jumping back and forth between timelines every now and then, why couldn't we maybe start that from the beginning and draw parallels between Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, father and son, and maybe try to have some of these themes maybe come to the forefront just a little bit more earlier on instead of this whole religion is a hypocrisy and it's the root of all evil and violence is something that we equate with evil and we're going to just keep on hitting you in the face with it the same way that everybody in this film seems to get punched in the face or shot in the face (laughs) and everything just in their face i agree (laughs) yeah the like cross-cutting timelines in the beginning was very like confusing to me at first and i think that like you said, Matt, if they had been consistent with it, I think it would have developed a nice rhythm and would have been an interesting technique to go with. But I found that in the beginning, it wasn't really like established that well of like where these characters were at certain points. And then we'd be in one moment and then flashback 12 years later. But then that 12 years is actually like encompassing many years. So then it became very disorienting right off the bat. And it's not really a great point to start the storytelling in your movie they also want to like try to intersect like these different characters with one another and show how they all uh spider web are connected to each other in some way um even crossing generationally and while i find that interesting in movies like say magnolia for example here i found it to be uh, a bit shallow and it mostly I think it derived from the fact that some of the point of view characters uh, that we were following were just utterly despicable and I had like little to no interest in once again a theme that is established earlier on but never quite evolves into anything more like you can you can follow a bad character like um, the one played by um, uh, Henry Ma- ha- Harry Melling, uh, Roy Lafferty in this movie. You know, you could follow him for a bit, sure, but if you're going to just keep on hammering home the same central thesis of the movie through his point of view, then what's the point? I mean, I would argue they hammered that thesis in with every character. I didn't find anybody in this movie to be really all that sympathetic. I thought they were all kind of 
terrible, horrible, disgusting, filthy people. And I really didn't appreciate spending so much time with them, especially, as you said, Matt, when the theme is pretty shallow and you kind of get it hammered home in every single moment to spend just more time with characters that really all of them are not sympathetic is just not that pleasant to watch. Mm-hmm. For I, me, I, I don't think that. it was... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, for me, uh, I agree with Josh's point that pretty much all of them are unsympathetic, but for me, I think the bigger issue was that a good amount of them were... They felt one note, so it didn't mm. feel like we were getting any sort of insight into why they were despicable people. It just felt like we were watching them be despicable continuously. And on the flip side of that, too... The female characters in this movie are, in my opinion, at least attempted to be the sympathetic ones because there's other than Riley Keough, who, you know, they, they try to paint her as someone who's trapped and is trying to get out of the situation that she's in and such. But at the same time, uh, what you just said, Danilo. They're all written to be so one note and they're never fully fleshed out as characters necessarily other than the fact, oh my gosh, they're being victimized by all these horrible men and their devotion to to their religion and so on and so forth. That uh, How many female characters in this movie? There's like four major ones, five maybe, but they all follow the exact same trajectory. And it's like, it's to, to Sarah's point, it's exhausting after a while. Yeah. They do, and even, like, I'm such an Eliza Scanlon fan, but even from from this movie, I felt like I felt like we didn't get enough uh, enough from her, enough from her character, enough that sets her character apart. Um, I was left kind of disappointed with what they what they chose to do with her, or lack thereof. Um, and I agree with um, Danilo's point about the the, co- the complex character, the, the, the unsympathetic characters. Like, there isn't anything complex about these unsympathetic characters to make us more invested. Like, I'm all about watching a movie about dark characters, but uh, whenever they're written well. But the characters here aren't written well, which is kind of um, surprising considering um, that this is based on a novel. And uh, there should be more. there should be more here. I think the novel is, like, divided into... I mean, you can't take a novel and make it, like, a long-ass movie, obviously. I mean, maybe this would have been done better in a miniseries because, like, I believe the book, you know, is divided into sections and then they concentrate on each character in each section. And then at the end, this is what I loved about the third act was, like, all the major characters sort of converging together. Um, But anyway, I was going to say... Oh, I tweeted about this. I was like, I feel like Sebastian Stan's character could have been taken out entirely. Yes. And like it would not have changed anything about the movie. I ended up like well, I ended up skipping through most of his scenes because I was like, I don't want to hear this policeman constantly talking about his re-election. Like, I do not care. Let's just keep going. Because <laughs> they don't give you a reason to necessarily care about him. Uh, no. And you know, like his scenes where he's at uh, like the diner. Was it a diner? I can't remember. Uh, but scenes like that or the scene where he uh, shoots the guy like in the back of the head and stuff. I-, I-, I found myself like just constantly wondering, like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Uh, how is this furthering the story along? Like, where is this all kind of leading up to? And then when we do get to the inevitable showdown in the woods, which, by the way, for the character of uh, Arvin, what a hell of a day. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Or maybe a series of days. But I mean, dear God, <laughs> you know, um, it felt too contrived in that regard that everything would be that 
connected. And that was something that I kind of rolled my eyes at after a while was like, oh, Sebastian Stan happens to be, happens to be (laughs) the cop who was there when he was a kid uh, and his father killed himself. And then he happens to be the same cop that's involved now because Tom Holland just happened to shoot his sister. And it's like, God damn, can you like make something happen a little bit more organically instead of it feeling like it's so put upon us? Yeah, it hangs on a lot of coincidences. Well, one thing about Sarah's point um, about how the novel's organized, and I almost thought that maybe this could have done been done better as like a in a Quentin Tarantino style with like title cards where Ooh. it just felt mm-hmm. more organized. Because what the, it, the focus of the film really took me out of it um, with with just how messy everything appears to be. Even though that may be the way that it's presented in the novel. It just felt like they could have done a better job of organizing this material. And I think the real root of that problem is the first 40 minutes of the movie. I don't think that the first 40 minutes does a good enough job of hooking us in. Danilo, you said you walked into this not knowing much about the movie. Had you seen a trailer prior to this? No, I had avoided it all. I was just curious to just see what I could get from it. Because there's so few movies that I'm able to do that with. And I was genuinely surprised that I think it's about 46 minutes until we see Tom Holland's character and it just it it feels like we could have uh, sort of hashed those themes out uh, in, a, in a much more condensed time. Yeah, because I was curious uh, to hear from you, like if you I mean, like as someone who, you know, like I said, was bombasted with the marketing of like Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson being front and center mm-hmm. after about 20 minutes, I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't know where this story is going. I don't know who our point of view character necessarily is at the moment. Is it Bill Skarsgård? Is it this little boy? Is this little boy going to end up becoming Tom Holland? Which he does. But I was left with more questions than anything. And like, if the movie can't grab you within the first, I mean, Jesus, you know, it's like 46 minutes. I gave it 20. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, absolutely. And, and and to further that, after Tom Holland shows up, it is an additional, what, 15, 20 minutes until we get Pattinson's character, who was... I mean, you know, he seems to be the buzz for a lot of people. So it, it is. It, it's they're really making you wait for the things that were promised. Mm-hmm. Which I don't have too much of an issue with the waiting on that. I do have an issue with some of the focus of the story, which we've already mentioned. And I think another part that really didn't work for me was everything with Jason Clark and Riley Keough. I I don't know why that section of the story movies in this in this story i like i really struggle to figure out like what it is that they really add to this story and and i i just really grew frustrated and tiresome with those scenes even though i love riley keogh in this movie she might actually be my favorite performance in this film to be honest and maybe that's because she's like the only american <laughs> might have something to do with it um <laughs> But I think that like her performance is really good in those sections, but, but that entire storyline just felt so superfluous to me. And every time we cut back to it, I was just awestruck by how unnecessary everything in that section felt to me. I agree. I wonder if it's because they are not, through dialogue, the themes of the movie back to us the way other characters in the movie are. They almost feel like they are kind of interrupting the plot in the central uh, theme of the film. They feel so peripheral to it that it's sort of like, it's it's barely enough to justify their inclusion to the theme. The, you know, I feel like we're, I feel like we are dumping on the movie a, a, a lot here. I, I do want to maybe ask if there were uh, some positives uh, that anybody, you know, 
you know, got from it at all. I mean, a lot of us, I, I heard mentioned the performances in this. And Josh, you already mentioned Riley Keough. Uh, Sarah, who was like the standout performance for you in this? Um, I mean, I want to say Tom because we haven't seen him, I don't think, perform with such, you know, use all his um, range as much. And I liked how he um, tapped into what Bill Skarsgård did. And, you know, like their mannerisms and like, uh, you know, the way they, yeah, carried themselves was very similar. So, yeah, I think Tom was my favorite. Yeah, Tom was definitely not a surprise. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'll go I'll go so far as to say a bit of a surprise just because of that uh, showcase of range. Like you said there, Sarah, it was refreshing uh, because we've only seen him play Peter Parker, Spider-Man now for what, four, five movies at this point in a row? with like little roles sprinkled out through here and there. But this was one I felt like where he really got to kind of dig his, uh, his heels in a little bit, you know, and really show us what he can do. Ryan, what about you? No, I agree. He was my favorite. Um, he really got, he got the opportunity to act like truly act, which I thought was great. And in, in the long run, I, even though I really don't like this movie, um, I do think this is a good thing for his career. Um, mm-hmm. just to have that range out there. Um, but, uh, Robert Pattinson was definitely, uh, my, my favorite other than him. Um, uh, I, he was like, every time he was on screen, I was like, okay, like Tom Holland's my favorite and Ro- Robert Pattinson's doing okay. And then he would come back on screen and Ro- he would just blow me away. So like, uh, he, he really, it was awesome. Uh, he, he has a great, a great performance here. Yeah. Pattinson is someone who with, it seems like every movie I see from him nowadays, no performance is ever the same. And that is something that I find to be very, very exciting about him, actually, is, you know, he can go from doing something like Tenet to The Lighthouse to Good Time. And these all feel like different people. Uh, They're all being played by the same guy, but he's definitely not... He's not doing something that like like I feel like someone like George Clooney does where you go to see a movie and it's like, oh, it's George Clooney being George Clooney. And we like George Clooney, so the rest of the movie should work. No, Pattinson's like really, really tapping into some real character actor level shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, can I offer a counter to Robert Pattinson in this movie? Okay. Please do. And normally I like Robert Pattinson when he goes kind of in the crazier character actor-ish type performances. And even when it doesn't always work, I'm usually into it. I was strangely not really a fan of his performance here. And I think it has more to do with the character than necessarily his portrayal. But I think that because the character that he's playing doesn't really have complexity to him and really isn't even all that charming on the surface, it just sort of made all of his choices feel very futile to me. And the... Brand like the outlandish, cartoonish nature that I think normally if I was more entertained by what that character was kind of doing in the scenes and his motivations, I would be more willing to accept. But here, it just felt very distracting to me. And it felt, of all of his like very big actorly performances that he's given, this was one that actually didn't really connect with me. And it kind of actually stood out as something that really wasn't effective, in my opinion. I definitely agree that the character is flatly written, but I think that Pattinson's charisma and on-screen presence was enough to at least uh, hook me, even though I, I, I do agree, Josh, that like as a character, he's not really complex. There's nothing really 
interesting going on with him that we haven't seen before the hip the hip uh, the the hypocrite preacher who you know is speaking god's word but really is the devil himself you know i mean how many times have we seen that before and this movie does not present anything new in that regard other than you know I guess maybe a meme-worthy moment for this year's award season of Robert Pattinson saying delusions, <laughs> which I cannot wait to use to mock people's Oscar predictions this year. Yeah, I was, yeah. was going to say that that was like the best part. Like the trailer, that was the best part of the film. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that, like, I think back to something like The King from last year where Robert Pattinson has a very small role in it. And I think that's the role that's almost in kind of a similar vein as this one, where it's very small, very supporting, but kind of just comes in and steals the scene from all the main players. And for like, that is a role in the King where it's equally kind of cartoonish, but it's also like really relishing in how outlandish that performance is. And it really, grabs you in a way at least for me it does and here it's almost like another half measure where i almost wished him to kind of go even more into relishing the kind of evil nature and but also be kind of charming and i think it's that lack of charm that this character has it just makes his performance not really as interesting to me as i think it could be I think there's something there, though, in the sense that, you know, he could be perceived to be uncharismatic, but just because he's in the position that he's in, saying the words that he's saying, he's elevated by these people, which I think does, once again, speak to a theme that the movie is working on, which is, you know, everybody hangs on to every single word that the Bible preaches, that even with its pl- uh, even with its holes and, you know, everything else, that it, it, it cannot in reality, actually do, like actually bring people back from the dead. You know, it's something that, like, I feel is very scary and revealing about human nature that people buy into this stuff as much as they do. And I will say the big confrontation scene between um, Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson, that was my favorite scene of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. That was the scene I was most invested in because, to be honest, I had had a, a huge problem with keeping with the film i was i was so disinterested in most of this movie uh, some of it like, a lot of the times i feel like it was like a bad episode of like supernatural from the cw um <laughs> it, it, but except less interesting and um but that that scene where they where the, they, they have the big confrontation in the third act was definitely like the moment where i was like oh wow this, this feels alive and thriving well, I think that's also because we care about Lenore, so we know that she's like the emotional driving force of that scene because it's a scene of revenge, right? And so, once again, we've seen that illustrated earlier on in the movie where Bill Skarsgård uh, beats up uh, the guys that are making fun of uh, saying crude things about his wife, teaches his son about finishing a fight, picking your time, and so on and so forth. And we see that with him doing it with the bullies at school who pick on Lenore. And now, once again, uh, taking it a step further into murder uh, with this preacher, played by Robert Pattinson. So I-, I think that's part of the reason why that scene is really good, because it's emotionally charged, and it's actually backed by something that... You know, everyone's opinion will vary, but I mean, I, I we're supposed to care about it. And the stakes are there. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that is the emotional core, but it is ultimately sort of diminished because it has to fit in so many other subplots and 
you know, bits and pieces that aren't as emotionally satisfying. So it, it, it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit when I think that should have been made more the emphasis. My favorite scene in the movie is where Lenore, right before she accidentally hangs herself, it goes from a suicide to an accident. That is actually my favorite part of the movie because of the fact that, you know, she has a moment where she changes her mind. And I thought that that was a really, really revealing moment. And then for it to actually result in tragedy because she slips. And the aftermath of that, knowing what time period we're in and knowing what people think about suicide for that time, that she can never, ever be all right with God because she is a suicide. But in reality, she isn't. That was a really, really heartbreaking moment. And it's a very, very tiny line of dialogue in the movie that the narrator says. And that really hit home hard for me, knowing that we as an audience know the truth, but uh, the characters in this world, um, they they don't know any better. And that's something else I appreciate about this movie. I like the I like its approach to brutality and I like its approach to darkness and those uncomfortable emotions that you just described in that scene, Matt. Um, I just wish that it could have been backed up with more um, substance or the directing and the writing could have met and been elevated in a better way. Right, because the movie's like, I think, trying to make a commentary also, too, when it comes to vengeance and violence um, as, you know, a justification for religion and how people will use that to, um, you know, further get what they want, essentially, through violent means. And, you know, I mean, that's the level of hypocrisy that we see still see being carried out today in, in, in today's world. And it's just it's something that's never, ever sit right with me. And it's actually part of the reason why this uh born Catholic boy uh, turned away from religion was because of the hypocrisy and how much I saw that people were using it like in the name of things that just morally were in, you know, evil to me. I, I couldn't stand by it. And I think the movie does do a decent job of hammering home that theme. I mean, it, 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 it has to at least do a decent job because it hammers it so hard. <laughs> I, I, I do <laughs> wish that it could have done it in a much more nuanced and uh, more subtle way uh, because I do feel like it's a movie that doesn't necessarily trust its audience to get it get there on their own and it really has to spoon feed it to them. Can I piggyback on that, um, what you said, Matt, about sort of spoon feeding it? That sort of ties into my issue a little bit with the narration. Mm-hmm. Um, so the film's narrated by the author of the book, Donald Ray Pollock, and there are several times where the narration feels a little precious. Like it feels like it's really intruding on the moment and and sort of articulating what's happening as opposed to sort of adding to. And I wish that if it was there, that it was uh, uh, pulled back a little bit because it does it does sort of impede my enjoyment uh, in key moments. Yeah, I know that, you know, from speaking with Antonio um, in my interview with him that, you know, uh, Donald Ray Pollock is meant to be like the voice of God of this movie in a way. And it is it is his book it is his creation, his characters. So in a way that does make sense. And I do think that, you know, if that's what you get from reading the novel is this presence of a divine figure if you will that's kind of like telling the events as they unfold to you the reader and you want to translate that to screen i don't think that that is something that i don't think that is something that works in cinema as well as it does reading a novel for the reasons that you just said danilo i I think voiceover is extremely tricky yeah and i think it needs to be more character revealing 
less about exposition because think about it this way. If you took out the narration from this movie and watched it without it, what are we actually seeing on screen from the actors and character revealing moments that are actually um, telling us what we need to know without the, those written lines of uh, those written lines? You know, what absolutely. I mean? Yeah, no, it does. It does sort of use it as a crutch in certain moments. What's the, what's the visual storytelling? Yeah. 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 Matt, I think that you hit the nail on the head with saying that this narration is used more for exposition than for character reveal. And I think that is what makes it not quite successful. Cause I think back to other examples of movies that sort of use a somewhat similar trope. And I think of something like the assassination of Jesse James, which uses voiceover that into a sort of similar effect where it's like this narrator looking down on things. But I feel like that is a situation where it is very informative about people's states of minds. And you get a little bit of that in this movie, but for the most part, it seems to me to be just telling you like, this is what's happening and this is information you need to know without really doing the groundwork to dig deep within the character work. And so whenever you hear the narration here, it just really sticks out and doesn't fit in with getting you invested further into the story. And there are so many instances where it tries to, like in my head as I'm watching the film, I'm seeing certain characters come back and I'm trying to sort of tie into my head how they all connect. But Mm -hmm. the narration sort of does it for me, in which case it's keeping me from being uh, more active or more invested in the narrative than I should be also. I didn't mind the narration at all. Just being the odd one out here. <laughs> I didn't mind it either. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, but again, it just doesn't, as a cohesive, it doesn't come together as a cohesive thing, a cohesive entity. To something that Sarah said earlier, I think that if the narration was taken out of the movie and they had to shoot a little bit more uh, with the actors, maybe add some more lines of dialogue, I think that would have pushed the runtime possibly into miniseries territory because the, the narration is like a shortcut uh, mm-hmm. through a lot of that, I feel. That's true. Uh, did I ask uh, everybody their favorite performance? Did I get to everybody on that? Um, I didn't. I don't think I said. Um, yeah, go ahead. My answer would probably echo everybody else's. I think Holland was the, the strongest uh, performance here, just because I feel like he had the most to work with emotionally also. He was the least despicable character, um, despite the fact that he racks up a really high body count. And... Um, <laughs> and uh and so i think that helped a lot and it was good to ryan's point to see tom holland sort of step out and show that he can do things outside of the mcu i do think uh bill skarsgård was was good Uh, i liked the the connectivity in their performances but i think holland was the standout Mm -hmm. i want to give a shout out to harry melling dudley dursey uh who unlike pattinson actually did terrify me uh with his performance in how much like I, like josh you were mentioning before like how pattinson like didn't go far enough i i thought like harry melling like went further than he probably should have gone <laughs> in some cases with <laughs> honestly that performance. i did kind of prefer him in this movie to pattinson which was he kind was of shocking good. to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's so good and everything he does and it like just sucks that he's always in like these like supporting roles i loved him in the ballad of buster scruggs so so much and the old, the old guard, I, that that was like one where I, I did not like his over-the-top performance, but here it was perfectly suited to the material, and I thought it worked really well. Yeah, there are really good performances in this movie, for sure, and I think they are also mixed with some ones that aren't that effective, like 
like Sebastian Stan, like what is he doing in this movie? It's uh, it's a terrible performance. I'm sorry. I did <laughs> not like him at all in this movie. It, it makes me like really uncomfortable how much he looks like Richard Madden, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I just like, I don't know. Like there's Sebastian Stan hasn't really done anything outside of like I, Tanya for me personally, like in his film career to justify like the, just to, the level of fans that he has, because I, I just like I find that he has like such adoration from uh, stands and maybe it has something to do with his name. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it's like I, I just haven't seen him really do anything yet that has convinced me that on a quality level that he is like this big deal that everybody talks about all the time. He made me cry at the end of Destroyer. Fair. OK. <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends on the material that he's given and the director that he's working with. Like, I, Tanya's a movie I don't really like that much, but he is really good in it. And I think it's because he is playing a character that has some depth and I think he's directed well. And I just think that for the most part, he doesn't usually have that. And I would say the same thing here. The character he's playing is one of the least interesting parts about the movie. And I don't think that the way that those scenes are handled are done with any kind of nuance or complexity to them that would make you want to be invested in anything that that character is doing and his performance suffers for it i agree all right let's move over now to final thoughts on the devil all the time sarah anything that we did not mention anything you want to hammer home um no i think we pretty hit pretty much hit on everything oh i wanted to mention speaking of performances um jason clark was so forgettable next to Riley Keough. Yeah. Yeah. I I I genuinely feel bad for Jason Clark, but <laughs> and I don't and I don't think it's entirely uh actually no, I think I will say it is his fault. Um <laughs> I say that because like it just seems like the role selection and how he's playing like all these roles like I don't know, it just feels like in the early 2010s there was such promise for his career. And I just feel like now every time I see him come on screen, I'm like, oh, there's Jason Clark. But I'm like not excited anymore the same way that I was. And I feel like that's because a lot of times he tends to give a very similar type of performance now at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He's always he's always going to be the guy for me from Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> yep. His performance in this gave me Serenity flashbacks a little bit. Oh, God. Oh, God. A little Which bit. Is never a compliment. <laughs> Although, like, he's not, I wouldn't say that he is good in the movie. He's, like, kind of just fine and, and forgettable. But I did find it sort of interesting that it did feel like a role that sort of took his reputation as, like, Hollywood's most well-known cuck. <laughs> actually used it as an actual, like, villainous motivation. I, I found that to be interesting. Not enough to really salvage the character at all, but just as an aside. It's like, oh, it's like taking his actual persona and making it a feature of his villainy it's sort of interesting that's a fair point <laughs> and i want to just say for the record because i don't want to get totally dragged for this i do like him in mudbound and chappaquiddick and i'll move on from jason clark now at this point <laughs> <laughs> all right danilo what about you um i think we pretty much covered everything i think uh i guess just to hit back on the coincidence thing i i, I like the idea of it and there's a couple times I think Sarah mentioned in the final act where it's like, okay, I like how some of this is threading together, but overall it's just, it's, it's so infrequent in like the way that it's done that I just, it doesn't really come together for me. So I, I like the idea on paper, but once again, I don't, the execution holds it back for me. So Ryan, 
Well, you know, I've been pretty negative most of the time, most of this review, but I do want to say I love the opening sequence. Whenever I watched the opening sequence, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be really good. Um, unfortunately, the rest of the movie didn't really pan out for me that way. I will say that the film does have um, strong um, a strong setting and a strong aesthetic. Um, there are moments where there are some neat shots. Like there's this one shot in particular um, where um, Eliza um, Eliza Scanlon's head is covered um, with a bag, and we see Tom Holland's legs. I, I, if they would have focused on a little bit, uh, focused on it a little bit more, that could have been a really great visual um, with the imagery. Um, it, but again, the movie just doesn't it doesn't have the savviness, I think, to really know um, how to organize or focus on what it needs to. All right. And Josh, uh, there's two quick things I want to mention. Uh, one is negative and one is positive. So I'll start off with the negative. Um, I, we have talked a little bit about it, but I really did feel bad for every female character in this movie that eventually just sort of felt like they just really didn't know what to do with them. And you really kind of figured out the formula of be victimized and then basically be killed off because we don't know what to do with your character arc after that. And that was rather disappointing to watch over and over again in the movie. So I really wasn't a fan of that, to be honest. Um, but the other thing is, I know I've been very negative on this movie in this review, but to be honest, like it was never really a movie I was bored by. It didn't always interest me in terms of the themes that it was talking about, but it is like, you know, well shot. It's the performances are good. And there's like ideas in here that I think are interesting. Like I am kind of interested in the way that this movie wants to talk about violence and how trauma gets passed down through generations and how religion's mixed up on all of this cynicism and corruption. Like those are all very interesting. I think the problem is just that it never really fully commits to any of those ideas to become fully invested in them. But on the surface, there is enough there to like be sort of into what it's doing. I just wish that it had gone further to really say something truly kind of profound about anything instead of just sort of playing on the surface, which was disappointing, but it doesn't mean the movie is like a total disaster either. Yeah. I think that I, you know, there are there are things I like about this too, like Josh said. I, I think Lowell Crawley's cinematography is quite good, and while it doesn't have like what I would consider to be memorable images necessarily, it has a visual aesthetic that I still found to be uh, alluring, and also one which reminded me a lot of. I don't know why I would kept thinking about this, but I kept thinking of like movies from the nineties. And I, I, I can't exactly tell you guys why that is, but I kept kind of coming back to this idea of uh, this movie's got kind of like an old school sensibility about it in the way that it is shot that I just really appreciated. And I also want to just um, call attention to the score by Danny Bessie and Sonder uh, Jurians. Uh, it's very delicate. It's light. It's never overbearing necessarily, but I found it to be quite haunting and fitting in with the tone uh, that the movie was going for. So really, really like that. Overall, I'm very mixed on this movie. I know I might have sounded like more negative throughout this review, but maybe it is the fact that I grew up Catholic and a lot of the themes of this movie do still resonate with me because of you know, the fact that it kind of runs through in my family in a lot of ways. And I've always had kind of this mixed relationship with religion throughout my entire life. So 
I'm going to actually give it a six because I also don't think that it's like a horribly made movie either. I, I to Josh's point, I just wish that it was better than all right. And that's really what it, what it is. It's like kind of just like in that middle area of uh, it's it's all right, you know. And so, yeah, Ryan, what about you? I am giving it a four. Okay. Sarah? I'm going to go with six as well. Danilo? Six for me as well. Josh? I'm also at a six. All right. Great. So I'm the asshole. (laughs) (laughs) But the the thing, Ryan, is that, like, I I don't think that it's a terrible movie. Like, to me, going down that low would mean that I just, like, flat out don't recommend it. I'm not quite there, but there are a lot of problems with the movie and it's not like a full-throated recommendation for me either so i totally get where you're coming from i'm just not as like the parts that do kind of work for it are enough to like just barely kind of uh pull it across the finish line but it's oh not it like is a weak sex either. absolutely well, yeah so like i i was using the neglia formula where if five is complete middle of the road, complete neutral. I'm just slightly negative to, to neutral. So, which makes complete sense to me because I yeah. do think that no matter where you fall, I do think this movie is in that four, five, six territory. And yeah. anything I think more than that is just like okay, <laughs> and anything yeah. less than that, I would understand too, maybe. But you know, I would want to hear some just. I would like to hear some more detail, you know, but I, I do think that this is like the very definition of a uh, middle of the road movie. Yeah, we're all very mixed on it in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as any Oscar potential that this movie has. Nope. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. When Netflix has like two dozen movies that they're contending for, like, no, this is. Yeah, not this happening. isn't going to do it. <laughs> we're going to we're going to take that off the table all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But but. Once again, thank you all very, very much for that delusions meme. I can't, I can't, I can't overstate enough how much I can't wait to use that this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, Ryan, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me at rcs eight one eight on Twitter. Sarah, you can find me at Mildred's Fierce on Twitter. Danilo, you can find me at Danilo S Castro on Twitter. Josh Parm, I'm on Twitter at jr Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Devil All the Time here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.